0: Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. We have uh, some guests with us this morning, and I'm not quite sure whether or not they're in here, because they they came early this morning, and they helped set up, and they're helping serve during the the, uh, worship service, I believe. But their connection, and they're a student ministry from uh, Europe, Martha Moore, who is I think she's helping with the kids, but she's in a... uh, No, Martha! There's Martha. (laughs) Martha helped on staff at University of Southern California, their student ministry there that's led by Neil Walker for several years. And in 2000, she went out to Germany and began Connection. And Connection, their goal is to bring Christ to university students in Europe and Uh, There's some groups in Germany and also in Spain, and they're expanding. So that's exciting to hear. Martha's the founder and director of that group, and she's here with several of the the ministry leaders. And so if you'd like to find out more about their ministry, there is a table in the lobby where you can stop by and get some more scoop on what they're doing there. Really glad to have you all here, Martha. Thanks for coming in. (laughs) I wasn't quite sure she was going to make it in here. There are a couple other things I'd like to mention that you, it would help if you'd take your connection card and respond. This is an interactive moment here at the beginning of the message. But if you could let me know of a couple things. If you're a member of CIV and you're going to attend the member update next week, right after worship service, second service, please let us know. We're trying to coordinate child care. We have some information, some decisions we're making, information we'd like to get out there. And so if you plan to attend that, that'd be great. Another uh, thing that's happening right now is Matt Frankel has put together a social network working website that that helps us pray together, pray more together. It's called Pray Buzz. If you're interested, it's going live, it's launching tomorrow and we've been using the Alpha version in the office, and several of my friends have been using the Alpha version. It's very helpful for Staying connected to um, what's going on in the lives of other folks. And, it, it, for instance, I pray for groups of people um, consistently. And I can go on pray buzz, and some of these groups are on there, like the staff. Staff's on there. So I pray for the staff all the time. But I can go on PrayBuzz, I can create a prayer circle, and I can find out more specifically how to pray for them. It's been very helpful I think you'll find it helpful for staying connected to family, friends, growth groups, ministry teams, and others that you're connected to. If you would like to be invited to pray Buzz, put pray Buzz on your connection card. We'll invite you tomorrow morning, and uh, you can see what it's like, how it works. It, it's been very helpful to me because it's more, I can pray more specifically, and I'm more informed. I know, I know more about the people, that, that what's going on in their lives, and I can pray with them about those things. So that's happening tomorrow. just wanted to let you know that's coming. We're starting a new message series today called We Are Not Alone. Uh, we, there's something about us human beings. Um, <clears throat> we want to know what's out there, don't we, beyond this world. There are 12 alien movies coming out in 2012. There were 16 in 2011. That, that's a record. Um, we're, we're fascinated with this theme. Um, in most alien movies, it's interesting, you see evidence of the alien before it's unveiled, like in Super 8 last summer, is the big Spielberg movie. Super 8, you see this shipping container, still shipping container, and dents are being made from the inside out, just thoof, thoof. And so you, you, whoa, what's that? You know, it doesn't seem human. I don't think a human could punch that. And so you, you begin to see evidence of the alien, and then at some point in the movie, the alien is unveiled, and there's that moment when the visitor from the other world shows up, like this moment in ET, when the young Drew Barrymore met ET. You know, for, thankfully. E.T.'s friendly, nice, nice little alien. And so, you know, not too scary. In many of the movies, there's also a scene like this one from uh a new movie called The Thing. There was a, a movie called The Thing a while back. But this is actually I was told after the first service, sort of corrected, but I kind of knew this but didn't say it. It's a prequel to The Thing that was made in I think in the fifties or sometime like that. But it's a great name, isn't it? The thing. What is the thing? You know, what is that? But there's many times there's a scene like this where the dead alien is in a laboratory on a table, and they're trying to figure out what this thing is. And all of this, you know, it sort of resonates with us at a certain level because we want to figure out what's in the beyond. We're we're trying to figure out what is out there. We know something is out there. This theme makes millions for Hollywood, because it resonates with something deep in us. We're fascinated with the theme. Why is that? Because we know there's more than life on this earth. We know there's more out there than just, just this life. There's a deep sense in human beings that, there is, that we're more than just biological mas- machines. We're more than that. There, if, you, if you just let that sink in, you know that you, we, there's more to experience in life. Than just mechanically going through it. There is something also we know beyond this life. We we have this sense that there's more out there. So we explore. We spend a lot of money. NASA's out there exploring to find out what's out there. And we also know there's someone out there. There's this sense someone is out there. We have a built-in desire to figure out who that is. The one who's out there, I'd like to say, is not Darth Vader. Luke, I am your father. That's weak. Nobody can do the James Earl Jones thing, but, you know, I am your father. You know, there's that moment in that movie where, ah, you know, you're finding stuff out. This series is going to focus on the God who's actually there. That's what we're going to look at. When we learn about who God is and how he relates to us, we find everything we need. Significance, security, a solid foundation to build our lives on. He is everything we need. So we're going to dig in to gain more knowledge of who God is. The Bible says we're strengthened by that knowledge. When When we grow in our knowledge of God, we're fortified. We're actually strengthened by that. And if we know him for who he is, the the better picture we have of his character, who he is, we live well. If we collect wrong ideas about him, if we make errors in judgment about who he is, we make errors in judgment about the way we live our life. This is a very important subject matter. This is a very important topic to understand more of who God is. So my goal in this series is to gain a better understanding of who God is so that we can live well, so that we're not collecting ideas that are off about him and then living in light of those ideas. And I I think you'll find this helpful whether you're investigating Christianity, whether you're new to the faith in Christ, whether you're a maturing believer, wherever you're at along that spectrum, I think this is going to be helpful to you as we dig in to see what the scripture says about God, who he is, and his nature. So let's dive in. In the Bible, God introduces himself to us as a trinity, three in one. And in the Bible, it's like getting to know a friend, we progressively learn more of who God is throughout the Bible. We, we get to know, like, you know, when you meet someone, you don't know everything about them. You just met them. They're, they're an acquaintance. You you know a little bit about them as you start conversing, as you start talking to them, but you really don't know much. You just know a little. You've met them. You might know their name. You might think, wow, you know, they're fun. I'd like to hang out some more. Or, you know, they seem to be a solid person. They've got some, maybe some perspective that I could use, and I'd really like to get some more time with them so I could soak up some of their perspective. And then the longer you know them, the more you understand them, the more you know about them. It's sort of progressive. And as you spend time with them, you know more of who they are and what makes them tick. This is the way God reveals himself in the Bible. It's, it's a progressive revelation over time. He reveals himself in the Bible as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's an idea. That is it's difficult for a human mind to wrap their mind around. For people, one person equals one being. For God, three persons equal one being or essence. It's, it's not, it, it, it's not uh, normal to us. It's not what we've experienced. So it's hard to wrap our mind around that. But you see this in scripture, early on, you get hints genesis one twenty six says, "Let us make man in our image." did he say it? did it say us? Let us make man in our image it's It's a plural. God refers to himself in the plural in the Bible, and then the ordinary Hebrew word for God is elohim e l o h i m It's plural so it's it's interesting. you see these hints early on. You can see him there. You can gain an understanding of who he is. But as you read through the Bible, it becomes clear that God is three persons in one being, one God. He's a unity, but there's three persons in this unity. Now, this is difficult to understand. I can tell by the look on your face. Everybody, "Ah." stay with me. All right, I don't want to lose you. (laughs) This is difficult to understand because there is only one God, and no one compares to him. Second Samuel 7 says, How great are you, O sovereign Lord? There is no one like you. There is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. Because there is only one of him, there, there are a lot of humans, but there's one God. There's only one of him. And he is much greater than us, which is an understatement. That's an understatement to say that. You wouldn't expect to be able to understand everything about him, would you? If you could fit God in your mind, if you could wrap your mind around him and who he is completely, he would be too small. A God that can fit into your mind is not a God that you can put your hope in. He he would not be someone that you can put your hope in to pull all of life together, all of history, the entire universe, to hold it together and to pull it together and to bring it to a purpose and to a plan. We would expect a God who could do that to present a certain amount of mystery in our understanding of him. How can we understand everything there is to understand about a great God like that? There is enough spiritual certainty that we can know him and trust him by faith, but there is an amount of intellectual mystery to, to God and understanding him. Once you get to know God and who the Bible reveals him to be, there is no confusing him with all the other God ideas. There, there's no room for confusing confusion. Uh, when you use the name of God in our world, it's kind of like the name Smith. You know, there are a lot of Smiths in the world, or in, the, in America, not in the world. <laughs> Sorry. In America, there are a lot of Smiths, okay? Probably not a lot of Smiths in India. I was just in India. I didn't meet a lot of Smiths there, but... Um, When you use the name Smith, you're like, which Smith? Who are you? John? Joe? Jack? Which one are you talking about? There are a lot of those. You You can stay vague when you use the term God unless you want to figure out who the real God is. If you want to know the real God, Smith won't do. Smith won't work. If you intend to know the real God... You need to gain an accurate knowledge of him and an understanding of him. And he reveals himself in Scripture as three in one. He he progressively reveals himself throughout the Bible. And we can know enough about him. Actually, you can experience him. He will show himself to be real to you. If you ask him, if you start genuinely seeking him out, he will show himself to be real to you he will. But you're not going to be able to get your hands around who he is, his nature, and this trinity thing completely. And you wouldn't expect to. There's only one of him. There's only one God. So it's clear in Scripture that there's only one. No one compares to him. And further, the trinity unfolds as we see God work to accomplish his purpose. This is when you begin to really understand how Uh, who he is and how he works you will not find the word Trinity in the Bible it's not there as you read the Bible you will see that Trinity is a way to express the truth about who God is you can see things more clearly as you look back from the New Testament the new part of the Bible the the end of scriptures to the beginning you can you can see more clearly what's going on because of this progressive revelation of God uh, uh, of who he is to us through scripture. So you can see more things more clearly that way. You see the truth of the Trinity as God works to accomplish his purpose in the world, like creation, salvation, the resurrection. All, All three persons of God are involved in those things. So let's start by looking at creation. This is an example of how Early on, you see the Trinity, but it doesn't call it out necessarily. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. First thing we're told about God, he's the one who created. He's the one who conceives of creation. He thinks it out. He's the architect of all things. In a way of thinking, he is really the father, the father of all things. That's the picture. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here we see reference to the work of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is is acting as uh, the perfecter, the protector, one hovering over uh, creation. Third, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And here we're introduced to the third dimension of the person of God, the Word. And we're told in John 1... This is a person. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. So from the first few verses of the Bible, we learn, we can, you can see as you're looking back, you can learn that God is a plurality of persons. He's three persons, yet one being. One. He's a tri unity. That's what the word Trinity means, Try unity Alan Richardson, who's a British theologian, said this, the Trinity represents a deep biblical insight. God is not and never was a lonely God. There is personality in God, and a person could not exist alone. Alone is my word, I just summarize it a little bit. <clears throat> this means practically that God didn't need us he didn't need us to have relationships. He wanted us. He wanted to create the world and make human beings so that we could know him, and he could be, you know, so that he we could know him and be known by him. Both things. He wanted to create us. He he loves. God is love. He loves. He created the world so that he could give to the people he made. God is a triunity. He's a trinity. We also see the trinity at Jesus' baptism, Matthew 3. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God. So there's Jesus, the Spirit of God, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, the Father. So there's the trinity. We also see the trinity expressed In the Great Commission, these are the marching orders that Jesus gave uh, to his disciples in Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you see Jesus is sort of crystallizing this idea. The name, God, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. More clear picture of God and who he is. With all that in mind, that's sort of the backdrop of where I'm heading. With all that in mind, I want to look at each person in the Trinity and the role they play in fulfilling God's purpose and the role they play in the way they relate to us and the way that we can relate to God in this context. We're going to start with the first person of the Trinity, the father. You really can't understand a father outside the context of his family. Here's a picture of, here's our Christmas picture, my family. You can tell the old guy to your left is the father. It's pretty clear. There's a context, you know, and now a grandfather. It's pretty fun. Excited about that. But that gives you context. And in the same way, you gain an understanding of who God is, that the Father is, by seeing him in context with the Son and the Spirit. So Jesus, the Son, makes the Father known to us. So this, this is what Jesus came to do. He, he makes the Father known. John 1 says, no one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son is himself God and is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Now, isn't it important, don't you think, to understand that statement right there, it's important to understand that God is three persons? Because it would be confusing without that. The Son himself is God and reveals God. So that's, that's two persons of the, the Trinity. We gain a better understanding of each person in the Trinity as we see the role they play in the world and in fulfilling God's purpose and how they relate to each other as they do that. When Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, we gain the opportunity to understand what God means when he calls himself Father. We, we, we gain a clear understanding of that. If you listen to the Father and Son interact, and if you pay attention to what Jesus says, about the Father and about why he came, you begin to see a theme in their relationship. The theme is the Father's will. Jesus came to do the Father's will. There was, there was a time when Jesus was with a crowd of people, and he was ministering with the crowd, and his, his earthly mother, Mary, came to the door, or came to try to get his attention, and she was knocking at the attention, and Jesus used the opportunity to make the point, my family will consist of those who do the will of my Father. That was his statement. How do you enter heaven? Jesus says, you don't just call me Lord. The kind of confession, the kind of belief that you must have is not just to call me Lord, but you need to do the will of my Father. You need to set your heart to do what the Father wants. How do you pray? You pray, Father, who, who art in heaven. The Father, you're the one in heaven. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your, your will, Father, is the one I want to come. Hours before Jesus was crucified, Jesus prayed for another option. He, he said, God, if there's any other way, he was anticipating the, the pain of the crucifixion, if there's any other option, could, could we let this pass? Could we not go this way? And then he said, not my will, but your will be done. Father, if, if, if we could do this any other way, I would. But I want to accomplish your will. This is the theme. This is the way they relate. Jesus came to do the Father's will. The Father has a will. Why does the Father have a will? Why does he have things that he wants? For the same reason, a human father has a will. They want what's best ...for their children. Good fathers have an opinion of what their children should do, and they want what's best. There's always a mix with humans. There's always a mix of, I, I want the best, and I'd really like them to make me look good, or I'd like some other motive. But if you choose the right motive, good human fathers want what's best. And good fathers watch over their kids. When we were young and we went to the beach... With our children, we watched them. We never took our eyes off of them because we wanted them to live through that (laughs) outing. That's why. We watched them like a hawk. We never took them. My kids are grown up. I don't need to watch them near like I used to watch them. But in my heart, I, I never stop watching over them. I watch over them in prayer, expressing my will for them and surrendering to God's will, the one who runs it all, the Father. Father, do do what you want in their life. May your will be done, because I know that's best. But I never quit. I never never have stopped watching over them. In John 4, we're going to dig into a story. And in John 4, Jesus shows us the importance of doing God's will. What's happening in, in the story, the backstory to this, is that... Jesus is resting at a well. His disciples, they were traveling uh, through Samaria, and they were on their way to somewhere else, but they went through Samaria. They, he stopped at a well. The disciples went into town. They were near a town, and they went into a town to get some food, and Jesus was at the well, and he strikes up a conversation with a woman who's at the well drawing water as well. It's noontime, and... Uh, he has this conversation with, with them, and at the end of the conversation, the disciples come back with the food, and they're trying to encourage Jesus. You've got to be hungry. It's like it's past lunchtime. You know, you, you've been, it's time to eat. Would you, would you eat some of this food? And Jesus says this, John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. There's that theme again. In the conversation Jesus has just had with the woman at the well, we get a glimpse into the will of the Father and the role the Father plays in the lives of his people. We, we can see how the Father watches over us. The first thing he does as, as the Father watching over us, he pays attention to the details. He, he's watching. John 4, 28 And 29 says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to people, this is after the conversation's over, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Is this the one we've been waiting for? Is this the son of God? Because he was prophesied about in the Old Testament. In this story, Jesus wasn't meeting with a world leader. This was not one of the most important people in in the day. The focus is on a nameless woman whom he met at the well and struck up a conversation. Read John 4, and you find out that the father has been paying attention to every detail of this woman's life. Not a world leader, but a nameless woman. He's been watching over her. Every detail. How did Jesus know everything she'd ever done? The father had been watching. This is how he knew. The father had been watching and clued him into the details. Same reason I know about my kids, much more about my kids than you do. I'm paying attention. I'm watching over them in great detail. I care about what's going on in their life. And the father, God the father, does the same thing in, in your life and mine. He has a plan. He has a will with your name on it. And he's watching. What's going on in your life and mine? Would you like to know what that will is? He goes on in this conversation as we're going backwards through it. But at one point in the conversation, you find out that the Father wants our true worship. Jesus knew some embarrassing details about this woman's life because the Father included them in. And he reveals them to her very gently, very very kindly. Um, she's had five husbands, and it's clear that she's been looking to men to meet her deepest need. Now, Jesus didn't throw this in her face, but he very skillfully brings it out in the conversation. And when he brings out these details, she does what a lot of us do. Let's talk about something else. I want to dodge the embarrassing details of what's really going on. And so she brings up a theological question about where we should worship. She's from Samaria. He's a Jew. There was an argument about where the temple should be, where we should worship God. So she says, where where should we worship, here or there? And this is what Jesus says. He patiently answers her question, John 4. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This, this is what God wants. This is a major part of God's will for your life and mine, that we worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, we worship him for who he really is in truth, and we worship him with the deepest part of our being. To worship someone is to put them above you, to give them more significance than yourself to revere them, and to organize your life around them. This woman had allowed men to replace God, and she worshipped them, in a sense. She organized their life around them. She thought they would bring the significance and the security that she could only get from God. Now, we raise things up, and... Worship them and organize our life around them. Why do we do that? We do that as human beings. We don't know any better is why. We think happiness is the point. And we're so focused on being happy, which God really wants us to be. The Father wants us to be happy. But we're so focused on being happy, we go right to the thing that's going to make us happy. And we try to get that. And we organize our life around that. And then that kind of fizzles. And we go to the next thing. This is what we tend to do. We don't know any better. But you find out in Scripture, happiness is a gift from God. As you worship Him, you find happiness in Him. And when we worship other things, we struggle. When we organize our life around other things, we really struggle. We get frustrated. And God, the Father, is watching all of this. And what he's trying to do and what he does is he keeps bringing us to moments of decision. Through our struggles, through our frustrations, through the things, the details of our lives, he keeps bringing us to moments of decision. I'd like to show you a movie clip that illustrates this very well. It's from Bruce Almighty. It's been around a while. Um, Somehow Bruce, Jim Carrey, has been given... Uh, the reigns by God, to be God. And in in this part of the movie, he's trying to handle all the prayers in the world, finding out it's difficult to be God. <laughs> Can't even keep up with all these. That's why we need somebody bigger than us. But anyway, um, his relationship with his girlfriend is not going well. He's, he's frustrated. He's struggling. He's struggling. And God uses that relationship to bring him to a moment of his decision. It's a great this is a great picture of how he does it. In this clip, Bruce has access to all the prayers of all the people in the world. It's sort of an email program. And he, he zeros in on the prayers of his girlfriend. And so we're going to watch the clip.: Please. A woman does pray a lot find Grace and Bruce. Dear God, please help Bruce find himself, find contentment, find you. Dear God, please help Bruce. He seems to be struggling. Dear God, give Bruce strength. Dear God, bless Bruce. Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. It's her. Sandy. it's her. She's logging on. She's praying right now. hurt anymore. Please help me forget. Please help me let him go. Please help me let him go. That's a great picture of what God's doing over and over again in our lives. If you haven't yet decided to follow him, he's trying to get your attention through frustrations and struggles and bring you to the point where you commit your life to him. God, I want your way. I'm done doing it my way. I want to go your way. If you've decided to follow him already, he's going to bring you to moments of decision to grow you so that you could choose his way, not your own way. And he'll grow you through that. In this conversation between Jesus and this woman, it got started when he asked her for a drink. He asked her for a drink, and then as the conversation went on, he, he turned the conversation towards spiritual matters and toward God this way. John 4:10 it says, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Jesus is saying the Father is waiting for you to ask. And if you ask him, if you surrender to him, if you ask him, he gives you exactly what you need in an endless supply. That's the point. God keeps bringing us to these moments of decision. You can make any choice you'd like. I can make any choice I'd like. We're free to choose, but the Father forces a choice. He keeps bringing these things to us. And choices affect our heart. You might become more stubborn because of the choice you make, or you might soften because of the choice you make. More deeply deceived, or the lies start unraveling. What God does is he's going to mess if you worship anything other than him. He is going to mess with what you worship, and that can make you mad. It can be kind of a volatile situation. It can make you mad, and your heart may harden. Your choices affect you, but what's happening is our Heavenly Father is watching over us. He is close to us, but he's not forcing his will on us. He is forcing choices, decisions. He keeps bringing us to these moments of decision. He wants you and I to choose over and over to do his will, not my will. To worship and organize my life around him. Not my work, not my family, not my money, not my fun, not a girlfriend or a boyfriend, not my stuff. You won't see him in these moments, but he's watching and he's waiting to see the choice we make. If you choose poorly, he's not going to give up on you. He doesn't. He's a father. He he loves. He he does not give up. What he'll do is he'll cycle the same choices back around so that you can have another opportunity to make a different choice. He'll bring them up in different circumstances. Samaritan woman had gone through five husbands before she met Jesus in this moment. Five times the father watched and just, ah, there she goes again, choosing someone else over me. Keep cycling it back. Jesus graciously helped her to see what she was doing. He graciously brought out what was going on, how the father was working and how she was choosing. And she chose in that moment to follow him. As you read the story, she chose Jesus. She chose to follow him and, and live for the father's will. You're not alone. We are not alone. There is a Father watching over you and I. He's watching us. He's watching every detail of our lives. He's weaving the details of our life into a plan. He's big enough to do that. He he can handle it. He's weaving the details of life to bring us to moments of decision where we can face him and once again say yes or no to him. If you haven't yet committed your life to follow him, he's trying to bring you to that point. If you have, he's growing you through these decisions that you make. He never forces his will, but he gives us the choice. The Father is watching over us, trying to to bring the good to us. I'd like to wrap up the message this morning by asking you to think through your next steps like we always do. If you would, please pull out the connection card and finish completing any information or next steps that you haven't been able to complete and we will receive the offering in a few moments, you can drop uh, the, the card in there. Here are some suggested next steps. There may be others that you have, but here are some suggestions. First of all, choose to do the Father's will in a specific matter. You know what God wants in a, in a specific instance and just choose to do his will. Surrender to his will. Give it over to him. Second step could be to thank God for watching over you. Just thank you, God. Every day this week, thank you, God, for what for your your watch care, that you're watching over, caring, guiding my life. Third, go public with your faith in Christ by being baptized. Maybe you've decided to follow Christ. You haven't yet been baptized. This could be a step that you could take. This is what God wants. Jesus commanded us to do that. And then finally, if you've never decided to surrender your will to God's and go his way for the first time I accept Jesus as my savior and will follow him as Lord that could be your next step if you're a first-time guest with us today we're really glad you're here we have a gift for you if you go through those double doors there's a table that's a little taller with some books on it what on earth am I here for I think you'll find that very helpful kind of a summary of God's purpose for your life his plan his will and how good that is and I hope you find that to be helpful Would you pray with me as the band gets ready to lead us in song? Lord, we thank you for the truth we find in scripture. It really does set us free as we understand you, as we gain a clearer picture of who you are and what you're doing in the world. Father, I ask for your help as we set ourselves to take the next step in following you. Give us the strength that we need to do that, God. We. We pray for this power from you, and we ask for your help in this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.